Today we are preaching the, the third message in our series that we've called, But God. Everybody say, But God. Um, those are two of the most powerful words in all of creation. We say, I was sick, but God healed me. I was lost, but God found me. I was a sinner, but God forgave me and cleansed me. I had no hope, but God gave me a future. And we've all been in that place where, where nothing short of a miracle were, would do, where the doctors said that there was no hope, where the circumstances were dire and dark, and, but God broke through into our lives. And the first week, we talked to, uh, about the fact that we wander, but God finds us. Remember, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. But God doesn't just let us go. He pursues us and he brings us back home. And then, then last week we learned that we are wounded, but God is our healer. We've all been hurt. We've all been wounded by someone that we love. We've all been betrayed by someone that we trusted. We are wounded, but God is our healer. And we learned last week that the key to opening the door for that healing is forgiveness. And today's message... We're calling it, we don't have enough, but God provides. How many of you are thankful for a God that provides? Say amen. amen. I want to read one of my favorite stories from the Bible. It's found in 1 Kings chapter 17, beginning in verse 10. This is, I love this story. It says this, Then the word of the Lord came to him, Go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. I have commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. By the way, it's talking about Elijah here. He went to Zarephath. When he, came, uh, uh, when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, Oh, and please bring me, please, a, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make, my meal, uh, make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid, go home and do as you have said, but first make a small cake of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make me make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. So she went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the women, woman and her family. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I stand humbly before you today, and Lord, I'm just asking that you would use this poor, broken vessel to proclaim the good news of a God that loves us so much that he provides all that we need. Speak to us today, God, deep in our innermost being. We don't need a motivational speech. We don't need a good sermon. We need to hear from Almighty God. Father, I pray that when we leave this place today, we would be able to say, surely I have heard from the Lord today, and I'm believing you for it. In the strong name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Way, way back in May of 1990, Julie and I got married. Julie, wave at everybody. She's not going to look. She, I'm in trouble now just because I already drew attention to her. But uh, uh, I, I, I'm not sure how in God's creation I, I managed her to get her to say yes to me. I'm convinced that it was an act of mercy and grace directly from the very hand of God. Uh, and the longer we're married, the more I'm convinced of that. But we were married on May 19, 1990. And 10 days later, we were pulling out of Fredonia, Kansas in a U-Haul truck, making our way to Twin Falls, Idaho, where I was going to be the youth pastor and music director. 
And we pulled into Twin Falls, Idaho on June 2nd at 2 o'clock in the afternoon and started our journey of ministry together. Now, now we didn't have much in those days. I've told before the story of the time we were sitting in our little uh, condo, the little uh, apartment that we were renting and trying to figure out how we're going to eat supper that night because the cupboard was bare. There was no food in the house. And I remember sitting there trying to figure out something when it dawned on me that I had this plastic cup sitting in the in the other room that had some loose change in it. It was mostly pennies, but we managed to gather enough pennies together uh, that we were able to go buy like a couple of cans of soup. And we went home to prepare the soup and, and, and got ready to die, you know, just like the widow here. Um, <laughs> But, but I, we laugh now, but the truth is things were tight for us financially. Now, we had been in Idaho for about four months when something happened. We owned a 1985 Ford Escort. Ford Escort. Don't be jealous. It was a little hatchback, a little 1985 Ford Escort. It was the only vehicle we had, and it was not yet paid off. And we went to church on one Sunday morning in October of 1990. It was a beautiful, warm, sunshiny day. And out there, out, out west, uh, you know, you can get, sometimes it get a little cool in October, but you, you get this, these warm days in October and the air out there is really dry. And it was just beautiful. And, and so we decided after church, when we drove home, it was so nice outside. We decided that instead of running the air conditioner, we were going to put the windows down. So we did that and we drove home and we got home and we started our, our usual Sunday afternoon routines, which meant that I sat down and started watching football and Julie went and lay down to take a nap. And, uh, and so we, was, we were there all afternoon and, and uh, the time came to head back over to the church for the evening service and we walked outside and went down the stairs. We, we lived in the upstairs unit of this fourplex is what it was and and we turned the corner coming down the stairs, going into the carport, and what we saw there absolutely took our breath away, because what we saw there was nothing. Our car was gone. Julie had inadvertently left her purse in the back seat of the car. Someone had come into the carport. We didn't roll our windows up. They got into her purse, grabbed the keys, and had driven off with our car. Needless to say, we, we were in shock. We called the police and they took our information. We didn't know what was going on. We didn't know what was going to happen. Well, the next day when I was in my office that Monday morning, I got a phone call from the police department and the lady on the line said, Mr. Hoskins? I said, yes. She said, Mr. Hoskins, we found your car. And I said, really? That's awesome. She said, well, no, it's really not good. So she went on to tell me that whoever had stolen our car had done something with it that had e- never even crossed our minds. Now, let me ask you this. How many of you have ever heard, outside of me talking about it, ever heard of Twin Falls, Idaho? Anybody ever heard of Twin Falls, Idaho? I can tell you this. More of you in this room have heard of Twin Falls than realized because it was at Twin Falls, Idaho, way back in the day where, where Evil Knievel tried to jump the Snake River Canyon. Now you know. How many of you heard of Twin Falls, Idaho? So anyway, you probably figured it out by now. The thieves took our car, went on a joy ride, stole the stereo out of it, and then they pushed the car over the canyon rim just for the fun of it. And I went out to where they found our car, sat out there about 100 yards up from the road at the bottom of the canyon. And if you've ever been in a canyon, you've got the sheer walls, but then as you get down, the, the, the dirt has filled it up, and so it gets a very, very steep hill as it comes down. 
And where it stopped, I went down to the bottom of the canyon, the road there, and I could see, I actually counted, I could see where the car had hit. It had bounced eight times coming down the canyon, the side of the canyon. And, uh, and, and it, it, it finally nestled to its final resting spot quite a ways up, about 100 yards up from the road. And it, and it was such a terrible, uh, rough terrain that they actually had to get a bulldozer in there to clear a path to be able to retrieve the car and, and haul it off, which I couldn't understand why they had to do that because there was an old wreck that was already there from somebody else, but I had to get mine off of there. Well, after all that was done, you'll never guess what I got. I got a bill from the people involved in retrieving, re- retrieving the car. Did you know that renting a bulldozer is not cheap? And I got a bill for over $2,000. I was flabbergasted. I had no idea how I was going to pay that. I mean, we're scraping pennies together for soup. How am I going to come up with $2,000? On top of that, here's more good news. The car was not paid off. I still had a loan on it. And to make it worse, I didn't have insurance. (laughs) You're getting the picture now. And on top of that, I knew now that was our only car. I knew now we're going to need a new car and there's no way I can get a new car. But God. Thank God for those two words. The first obstacle was the $2,000 bill. I didn't know what to do. So I just began to pray, and the church that we had moved to, it began to, they began to pray with us. And as it turned out, the church owned two buses. One of the buses didn't run, and, and the person who, owned this, uh, who I owed this money to was interested in buying the bus that didn't run because it had some sort of special transaction on the back that he wanted. And so he proposed trading the bus for the bill, and the church said, well, we've want, been wanting to get rid of that anyway. It's a deal, and, the, and in just... Just like that, in just a matter of a a minute or so, that entire $2,000 bill was taken care of. I didn't have enough, but God provided. Well, the next obstacle, obstacle was the money that I still owed on the car. Well, you know what happened? There were people in other churches in the Southern Idaho district that heard about the situation. It's a little district. Maybe at the time we were there, it was 50 or 55 churches in the entire district. They didn't know us. They had never met us. We hadn't been there very long. But, but even though they didn't know us, offerings from people that we didn't even know started coming in. And enough came in that we were able to pay off the loan. I didn't have enough, but God provided. Then we had to get a new car. There was a man in our church who was the, at the time he was the sales manager at a car dealership. He told us, he said, come down and, and let's see what we can do. And so we, we went down there, we looked around and we found uh, a red 1990 Pontiac Sunbird, you know, which is the equivalent of the Chevy Cavalier. So it's not an extravagant car. And they offered to sell it to us at the dealership's cost because of the situation. And we thought, well, we've got to buy one. Let's buy it from them. The problem was that when I was serving in Fredonia, Kansas, the church we moved to from, from, uh, moved from to go to Twin Falls, uh, the church didn't, couldn't pay me very well. Uh, you know, you talk about paying dues. Well, I was making $100 a week. Now, they did provide a, a home. It was an old home. But I still had to pay utilities and feed myself and pay my school bill and pay all these things on $100 a week. How many of you know sometimes the math just doesn't add up? 
As a result, I had struggled financially, and guess what? That showed up on my credit score. So first, they tried to run the loan on this new car through GM Financial, and they said, that's a good one, and they said, no thanks. So Hal, the general manager of the dealership, he decided to run the loan through a local bank. It was a bank they did a lot of business with. He thought maybe he could get it. He had a little pull there, and so he, he put the loan in there. The loan was denied. And how that afternoon when they denied the loan, he called the lady at the bank, one of the bank's vice presidents, and just begged her to reconsider. He told her about our situation and reminded her that they sent a lot of business their way. But at the end of the conversation, she said, I'm sorry, Hal, it's out of my hands. Well, Hal and his wife, Becky, hosted a Bible study in their home every week, and it just happened to be that evening. Well, that night... The group met in their home and they began to pray about the situation. And as they prayed in that home, as they were praying, the, the phone rang at home. And, what, and Hal went to answer the phone. It was the lady from the bank calling Hal at home from her home. And she said, Hal, I haven't been able to get that loan and that situation off of my mind. I'm calling you to let you know that I'm going to approve the loan. God had intervened. Listen, banks don't change their mind and call the general manager at home and say, hey, yeah, I'd like to give some money after all. I I believe to this day that the Lord worked it out that way to remind me that I did nothing to get that car, but he gave it to me. I didn't have enough, but God provided how many of you have ever been uh, in a situation where you've written out on paper all of your bills and all of your income and you get to the bottom line and you realize there is no bottom line because it's a bottomless pit? You ever been there? Uh, you, you get to the bottom of the line and it was, it was red and there was no black because there was more going out than there was coming in. And you say, I don't have enough. Anybody been there besides me? But here's what I've learned. Where God guides, God provides. So, somebody say Amen. Where God guides, God provides. Let me give you another truth. And this may not, uh, you may not uh, understand this, but we'll get into it. Not every problem you have is because you're in sin. Many problems come because you're in the will of God. You say, what, why would you say that? Well, if I hadn't been called into ministry and God hadn't opened the door to serve at the church in Twin Falls, Idaho, I would not have been there to get my car stolen and I wouldn't have had to come up with $2,000 and I wouldn't have had to buy a new car. I was in a financial difficulty because I was walking in the will of God, not because I was walking outside the will of God. I had an opportunity in front of me. But to get to that vision, there had to come a provision, and I didn't have that kind of money laying around. So I had to say, I don't have enough. But God. But God. I didn't have enough. But God provided He provided, you know, not just through special things, you know, because I still had to pay for the new car. So he provided through my salary. He provided through the church. He provided through those offerings from people that I didn't even know. In many, many ways, God provided, but he did. God provided. And I I want you to understand this, that a big part of this whole thing of following Jesus, a big part of this life is figuring out how to walk by faith. 
that, that we don't have to get it all figured out, that, that we step into the water and then God parts the water because where God guides, God provides. But you know what? You may be in a moment where you don't see that yet. Have you ever been in a moment in life where what you believe and what you see just don't match up yet? You ever been there? That's called walking by faith. By faith, Noah built the ark when it wasn't even raining yet. By faith, Abram said, I'm going to be the father of a mighty nation while he's got a shriveled up old wife and a worn out old body. By faith, Daniel walked into a, a den of lions and he walked out without a scratch. By faith, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came through the fire without even so much as the smell of smoke on their clothing. By faith, David strode out onto a battlefield as a teenager and killed a giant man of war. It's by faith that we call those things which are not as though they are. But God. But God. In 1 Kings 17, we just read the story of this little widow lady who has nothing. She's going out to gather up some sticks, take them home. She's going to cook a meal. And then what, she, what is she going to do after she cooks her meal? She's going to die. You've all heard this story. There are two main characters in this story. There's Elijah, the prophet, and there's the widow. You remember a few moments ago when I said that sometimes when we do what God tells us to do, it causes problems? Well, Elijah, under the anointing and direction of the Lord, had made the declaration. He had prophesied this message from God, and and he said, it is not going to rain. And guess what? It didn't rain. Elijah did what God wanted him to do, but what was his problem? The problem he ended up having was the brook from which he was drinking dried up because there was no rain. So he was exactly where God wanted him, but but it caused situations in his life that were hard to understand. So the Lord gives him another word, and he says, I want you to go down to Zarephath, and there's a widow there, and she's going to take care of you. So he goes down to Zarephath and finds this widow, and she's out there gathering sticks, and he runs out uh, out there into her there in in 1 Kings 17, and he calls out to her, and he says, ma'am, Would you mind getting me a little water so that I can have a drink? She says, sure, I'll do that. And as she's going, as she's heading to get the water, she says, Ma'am, I don't mean to trouble you, but can I get some bread with that water? We just read her answer. She said, as surely as the Lord your God lives. Notice at this point in time, she's given up so much that she says, it's not the Lord my God. She says, surely as the Lord your God lives, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Wow. I mean, you know, honestly, most of us right then, most of us would say, oh, hey, you know what? I'm sorry. Don't bother I mean, I don't want to take something, you know, that doesn't belong to me. I don't want to trouble you. You're already in a bad way. Maybe I'd really actually like to help you. Let Let me take up an offering for you. Let me do something for you. But instead of doing that, listen to what Elijah says. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. In other words, that kind of makes me laugh. Go home, prepare your meal, and get ready to die. That's what she was doing. He said, go do what you said, but first make a small cake of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. So he's like, okay, go home, but before you die, I need a cupcake. That's what he's saying, right? And, and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. 
So she went and did what Elijah said. And the flour didn't run out. And the oil didn't run dry. The whole time that Elijah was there. That widow didn't have enough. But God provided. We don't have enough. But God provides. You may be here this morning and you say, I don't have enough grace to forgive somebody. I don't, I don't have enough stamina to endure this trial. I don't have enough money to pay my bills. Whatever you don't have enough of, the word of the Lord for you today is this. You don't have enough, but God provides. But here, here's what I want to say. You know, last week we talked about that there was something we had to do to, to trigger the healing. And we, we had to forgive. But And in the same way, we have to do some things to put ourselves in a position for God to provide. How many remember, you ever heard any of these old timers, they say something like, they say you have to, you got to get under the spout where the glory comes out. You ever heard that one? You ever heard that one? Yeah, only the old time, real southern people. Sorry to call you old time, Gina. But but there's truth in that. We have to. Get ourselves in a position for provision. How many of you want to get into a place where God can can provide for you? Say amen. Amen. How do you do that? Well, let me give you four ways to get into a place where God provides. Number one, don't give up. Number one, don't give up. Say that with me. Ready? Don't give up. Say it again. Don't give up. When you're at the end of your rope, tie a knot at the end of the rope and hang on a little bit longer. Don't give up. Don't give out. Don't give in. Because the only way you lose is if you quit. You may not realize this, but underneath this flab here, there is a world-class athlete waiting to get out. In fact, back in the day, I, I played a lot of ball. Uh, baseball was always and always has been my favorite, it's been my, my first love. But, but when I was in college, especially, I started playing a lot more basketball. And, and I was never a great player, but I was okay. I had a pretty good shot. And, but, but uh, you know, as a kid, you remember, uh, you probably did the same thing. I remember being in the driveway pretending to be some, uh, in some fictional championship game. You know, I'd be out there, all right, here we are. Ten seconds left in the game. National championship. You down down by, by, by one. Hoskins with the ball at the top of the key. He dribbles right. He spins right left. He, he, he goes beneath his, between his legs. He pulls up with a fadeaway jumper. Off the rim. And the buzzer blows off. Time expires. The buzzer goes off. He missed. The game is over. But wait! He was fouled. He was fouled. See, you're making this up so you can make it up as you go along. Anybody ever played these games? All right, I just want to make sure that I'm not the only weird one here. He was fouled, so he goes to the free throw line for two free throws. The score is 72-71. He dribbles. Standing there, he dribbles at the free throw line. And you shoot that first free throw up, and it's in nothing but net. But then you'd shoot that second free throw, and it clangs off the rim. Oh, no, they don't win. But wait, a player was in the lane. There's a lane violation. He gets to shoot again. 
See, I tell you, when you're, when you're doing the play-by-play and making up, you're calling the game and you're making it up, you can just keep having stuff happen all the time until you finally win in the end. You can make up one, another foul, another lane violation, all kinds of things you can do, anything you want to do. And I'm here to tell you that that's what life is like when you follow Jesus. If you don't quit, He's already written the book, and in the end, you win. The only way you lose is if you give up. Listen, it can be the final 10 seconds and you can say, oh, God's going to provide at the last second. And then the clock runs out and the buzzer goes off and you say, wait, where was God in this? Guess what? He still may be on the way. He may let you die just so he can say, Lazarus, come forth and call you out of a tomb. But the only way you lose is if you quit. Because listen, I want you to hear this. You've got to hear this. If you keep going, there are no bad endings in Jesus. I don't care how it ends. There are no bad endings with Jesus. If I'm, if I'm a follower of Jesus and I'm sick and I'm praying for healing and God doesn't heal me, guess what? Guess where I get to go? There are no bad endings in Jesus. He's in control. The Word of God says in Galatians 6, 9, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will what? We will reap a harvest if we what? If we do not give up. You know what this widow, she could have said, It's over. All I've got is a little oil, a little flour. We're as good as dead. I'm not going to go out and gather sticks. I've been gathering sticks every day, day after day after day after day, and nothing has happened. God hasn't provided. We're just going to sit here and die today. But she didn't give up. She got up, went about her business again. She started gathering up the sticks to say, I'm going to do what I can do, and everything else is in the hands of God. Do not give up. If you want to put yourself in a place of God's provision, the first thing is don't give up. Number two, I like this one. Focus on what you have. Elijah said, I I want some cake. I I need a cupcake. I need a brownie. Give me something to eat. And she said, I don't have anything. Except, I have some flour and some oil. I don't really have anything to offer, but I do have this. Elijah says, okay, let's focus on what you have, not on what you don't have. You have a little bit of flour. You have a little bit of oil. You may not have any bread, but you have some flour. You have some oil. And you have some sticks to build a fire on to cook something. And here's what I want to say to you this morning. Stop focusing on what you lack and start focusing on what you have. Stop focusing on on what you lost during that last trial and start focusing on what remains with you. Where your focus goes, your power flows. The question is, what are you focusing on? See, if we focus and say, I don't have $1,000, well, maybe you don't, but maybe, do do you have $100? Well, I don't have $100, but do you have $10? No, I don't have even $10. What have you got? You say, Pastor, I don't have a job. I don't have anything. Well, let me ask you this. Do you have legs? Can you go out and apply for a job somewhere? Is your mind right? Is your focus in the right place? Focus on what you have, not on what you don't have. Don't look at what you don't have. Look at what you do have. If you look at what you don't have, what's going to happen is you're going to develop a poverty, poverty mentality. 
And you'll never be able to achieve anything for God. You'll always be broke. You'll always be busted. You'll always be waiting for something to happen before you do what God has called you to do. You'll always be down and out because you're thinking about what you lack instead of what you possess. But if you focus on what you do have, then here's what I know. What you have is enough for God to use to do a miracle. I don't think you heard me. What you have, you you focus... You, don't, you know, listen, we focus on what we don't have. And God says, listen, what do you have? Because whatever you've got, that's enough for me to do a miracle with. Focus on what you have. Start where you are. Use what you have. Do what you can. And let God take care of the rest. But if your focus is on, oh, I don't have anything. I've got nothing. You know what you're going to do? You're going to clutch on to what you have. Never put it in the hands of God and you'll never see your miracle. The widow didn't have much, but she told Elijah about the flour and the oil that she did have. And God took that flour and God took that oil and God turned it into a miracle. Where is your focus? You know, I read somewhere a while back that an average adult has 60,000 thoughts in a day. Now, that must be the average because I've known some people that there's no way they had 60,000 thoughts in a day. But I won't go there. 60,000. And most of them on a Sunday morning are like this. I wonder what time he's going to be through. How many of you have ever thought that in church? No, don't, don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. Don't do that. But we have 60,000 thoughts a day. Then Harvard did a study and found out that 80% of our thoughts on average are negative. That means 48,000 times a day you're thinking a negative thought. 48,000 times a day. You, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that if you want to be transformed, it comes as you what? As you renew your mind. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians that we should take every thought captive to, to Christ Jesus. And when you start thinking about what you don't have, when you start thinking about how terrible things are, in that moment, instead, you need to take that thought captive and you need to begin to replace it with what you do have and you will position yourself for a miracle from God. Now, I'm not saying that you're going to get every miracle the way that you want it and the, the timing that you want it and that you're going to get what you want. But I'm saying you're putting yourself in a position Where God can come through because you're finally saying to him, Lord, this is what I have. It's not much, but if you can use it, here it is. You become like that little boy who came to Jesus. Actually, the disciples found him. Andrew found him. And, and, uh, and they came to Jesus and said, Lord, all we have here is, is five loaves and two fishes. Or is it the other way around? doesn't matter. I've got a few fish and a few loaves of uh, bread here. And, 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 but Lord, what is that among this, this people? This is, not, this is just not enough, Lord God. How can this possibly work? And they said, but Lord, if you can use it, here you go. And by doing that, they were positioned to be able to receive a miracle from God. And God provided, not only did He feed the 5,000 men, not counting women and children, not only did He feed all of those, but they picked up 12 basketfuls at the end of that. And you know what? Jesus did a very similar miracle a second time. Did you know that there's two times? Look it up. I don't have time this morning. But listen... Don't give up. Focus on what you have, not what you don't have. Number three. This is powerful. 
Be generous where you are. Be generous where you are. Elijah says to the widow, ma'am, I know you said you're going to go home and you're going to make this and you're going to die. But before you do, can you please just make me a cupcake? The amazing thing to me is she says, okay, I'll be generous with what I have. She didn't have enough to share. Not by the worldly standards, but she said, I'll be generous with what I do have. I don't, I don't have much grace left, but Lord, I'll give what I have. I, I don't have much patience left, but, but Lord, I'll give what I have. I don't have much faith left, but Lord, I'll use what I have. I don't have much encouragement left, but Lord, I'll encourage somebody else. I don't have much love left in me, Lord, but I'll love somebody else. If you'll be generous with what you have, if you will be generous where you are, God promises that he will give back to you a good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over. Be generous. The widow didn't have much, but she was generous with what she had. Be generous with what you have. Generosity begins with what you have. Now listen to me very carefully. Generosity begins with what you have, not on what, with what you don't have. See, here's what we do. We all, we all plan to be generous someday. You know, oh, I'll be a, listen, I'll be generous. I'll really give uh, when, I have, when I get that raise. Oh man, we plan to be generous when we win the lottery, right? How many of you ever thought, boy, if I ever win the lottery, I will bless the church. Let me, let me see your hand. You ever thought, you know what, that's, a lot of that's gambling. You shouldn't be doing that. Put your hands down. That was, that was a mean trick, wasn't it? Uh, you get a pass on that one. Of course, you know what the lottery is, right? The lottery is a tax on people who don't know how to do math. You can think about that one. But we think those kind of thoughts. We think, oh, when I make $100,000 a year, then I'll tithe. Then I'll support the missionaries. Listen to me. I I want you to know the truth. If you don't tithe on $10, it won't matter if you make $100,000 because it's not a matter of the number of zeros. It's not a matter of the number of digits. It's a matter of the heart. If you don't give to missions making $40,000 a year, you're not going to give to missions making $400,000 a year because generosity is not based on your income. Start being generous right where you are. Develop a giving heart right where you are. And listen, I know a lot of people that make a lot more money than you and I do, and they're still stingy. The truth is, the more you have, the easier it is for it to get a tighter grip on you. And So be generous where you are, because your generosity opens the door to God's provision. He has blessed us to be a blessing. And when we hoard the blessings to ourselves, listen to me, then we remove ourselves from the place where He can pour out greater blessings what does jesus say in matthew 6 33 but seek first everybody say first First. say it again first First. seek first the kingdom of god and his righteousness and then he says and this is what i love god never says that your mortgage payment your school bill your your car payment all those things he never says that they don't matter he never says quit thinking about them no he says think of me first Seek my kingdom first, and all these things will be added to you. He says, if you'll put me first, then I'll take care of you. 
He says, set your heart on me because my heart is already set on you. Be generous where you are. Proverbs chapter 3 says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Malachi 3.10, I love it, says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw. Everybody say throw. throw. Say it again, throw. He will throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room, room enough for it. It says that He will throw open the windows of heaven. It doesn't say that He'll crack open the windows. It doesn't say that He'll inch them open a little bit. It says He will throw the floodgates of heaven open and He will bless you so much that you won't be able to contain it. Your giving opens the door to God's blessing. If you need a provision that only God can provide, then you have to put God first. How are you going to get a God provision if we're living with a me first mentality? See, this woman had a God first mentality. She said, I'm going to give to God first. I'm going to give to the prophet first. When you give to God first, you position yourself for a but God miracle in your life. How do you believe that? Say amen. amen. Number one, don't give up. Number two, focus on what you have. Number three, be generous where you are. Number four, just do it. Just do it. I mean, you've seen that YouTube video a while back. Just do it! You're going to look it up. I don't even know how to say him. Shia, whatever his last name is. Look it up, YouTube. What is it? Look what, what it says. Look what the text says in verse 15. After Elijah said all this, she went away and did as Elijah had told her. Turn to your neighbor and say, just do it. Turn to your other neighbor and say, just do it. There comes a point where you just do what God called you to do. Now, here's what we want to do. We want to come to the Jordan River and we say, okay, God, I will cross the Jordan River as soon as you part the waters, then I'll go. What does the Bible say happened? So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan was at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark, uh, uh, who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. The priest stepped into the water first and then the water parted. Sometimes you've just got to do what he says even when it doesn't make any sense. When you're waiting, you say, I believe God, I've got a promise from God that this that the river is going to part. Sometimes you've got to step into the river and you've got to take that step of faith. Sometimes you've just got to do it. You've got to be generous. You've got to not quit. You've got to bless somebody. Just do it. Look at me with Proverbs, at Proverbs 14.23. I want you to see this and then I'll wrap it up. All hard work brings a profit. Somebody say amen. amen. You say, well, I work hard and don't make much money. But you're still profiting in many ways if you work hard. Hard work brings profit. But mere talk leads only to pro- Poverty. Listen, you can jack your jaws and flap your lips as long as you want. You can run around and yap like a little chihuahua. But sooner or later, you've got to stop talking. And you've got to step out. 
and do something. Just do it. I want to tell you a story about a man who stepped out in faith and just did it. I'll close with this story. Pastor Marybeth, if you could come on up. In the early 1900s, there was a man named Charles Fuller who felt the call of God into ministry and he left the citrus packing business in Southern California to preach the gospel through the radio. Charles had trouble finding radio stations that would carry his preaching because many had policies against religious broadcasting, but God opened the door for him to take the Sunday evening slot on on station KNX, the voice of Hollywood. This was exciting because KNX planned on increasing its broadcast, and their plan was eventually to cover the entire West Coast, Alaska, and Hawaii. But the problem was this Sunday time slot was very expensive. Some of, some of Fuller's friends urged him not to move ahead. They said, that's too much of a risk. Don't do it. But he believed God was calling him, so he made the commitment. Well, one Thursday, it looked like he had made a mistake because the next day he owed KNX Radio $500 or he would have to cancel the next Sunday's broadcast, but he only had $350. Now, how many of you remember in the early 1900s, $500 is like a small fortune? So he sat there eyeing the phone. He was $150 short. That's a lot of money in in those those days. And he was sitting there looking at the phone, wondering if he should make the call to counsel and cancel the the program. And finally, with great regret, he decided, well, I, I just don't have the money. And he started to reach for the phone. And just as he reached for the phone, it rang. And a dentist friend of his who had come to faith through one of his broadcasts was calling. And his first words out of his mouth when he answered the phone were, Charlie, do you need any money? And he was shocked. He said, well, yes, I do. The dentist responded, well, then come over and see me. So Charles Fuller drove over to the dentist's home. And when he got there, the dentist asked asked him, he said, how much money do you need? And he said, I need $150. And the dentist turned to his wife with a stunned look on his face. Then he pulled a pocket out of his check that he had already made out to Charles Fuller for exactly $150. The dentist went on to explain what had happened. He said his wife had woken him up on the previous night and and said, The Lord has spoken to my heart. We must give Charles Fuller $150 tomorrow. And the dentist, you know, like us men that are so logical but sometimes have a hard time seeing past the facts, he said, you know, Uh, That's great, but the problem is we only have $25 in the bank. But she insisted, she says, I don't care. We've got to do it. He didn't know what to say, so he suggested they talk about it the next day. (laughs) That's what we guys do. Well, we don't know. We'll punt it, you know. And they went back to sleep. The next morning, he went to his dental office as usual, and while he was there, a patient walked in that, that he said that he had come to pay his overdue dental bill and the bill was for $800. When the bill was paid, the dentist immediately made a check out for $150 to Fuller. Then he drove home to tell his wife what had happened, and he called Fuller to have him come over without knowing how close Fuller was to canceling the time slot, slot on the KNX radio station. Listen, later, Charles Fuller gained renown as a radio host and speaker of the Old Fashioned Revival Hour, a weekly Sunday broadcast that aired from 1937 to 1968. 
The first nationwide broadcast occurred on October 3, 1937 on the Mutual Broadcasting System. Beginning in 1951, the program was carried on the ABC radio network, heard on more than 650 radio stations. He later went on and became the founder of Fuller Theological Seminary. None of that would have happened except Charles Fuller stepped out in faith and did what called him to do. Did what God had called him to do. But it was only possible because of a but God provision. Now why did I tell you that story? I tell you that story because I want you to know God does not love this widow or this prophet or Charles Fuller or me and my wife any more than he loves you. And if you'll position yourself for provision, I believe you can have a but God miracle moment in your life as well. How many believe that? Say amen. 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 Give God praise. Would you do that? Listen, I believe there are men and women in this place and you're looking at a mountain that's in front of you. You say, I don't have enough. I don't have enough grace. I don't have enough wisdom. I don't have enough endurance. I don't have enough connections. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough talent. Listen to me. I don't have enough, but God provides. He is Jehovah Jireh. The Lord who supplies all of your needs according to his riches and glory with every head bowed and every eye closed in this place. If you'd say, Pastor Dave, pray for me today. You'd say, Pastor Dave, I'm facing a situation where I don't have enough. It doesn't have to be a situation involving money. It can be any area of your life. But you'd say, Pastor Dave, I'm facing a situation where I don't have enough. I need a but God provision. I don't have enough, but I believe that God will provide. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed all over the room. Is that you? You don't have enough but you, and you need a but God moment? You don't have enough, but you believe that God provides. You don't have enough, but you'd like to position yourself for God's provision. If that's you, well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to count to three. And, and it was, when I say three, I'm going to ask you to step out from where you are, come out of your pew, and walk down to the front of this altar because we want to pray with you before you leave this morning. You don't have enough, but God provides. Are you ready? One. Two. Get ready. Don't hesitate for one second. Three, you need a but God provision. You need a but God moment. Come on down here right now. Come on down here. If that's you this morning, Pastor Mary Beth, lead us in a song as the people are coming. And we're going to pray with you. I'd like my, any of my deacons that are here this morning, I want you to come. I want you to, to gather around these that are coming. So many they are saying, I need a moment. I need a miracle from God. Listen, we serve a miracle working God. You don't have enough, but He is more than enough for you. You don't have enough, but He is a God that provides. You don't have enough, but you, we serve a God who is able to do exceedingly above, uh, abundantly above all that we ask or even think. You don't have enough, but God provides. That's the message for you. That's the word of the Lord for you this morning. People are still coming. We'll, we'll wait. We'll wait till, till we, we're all up here. Come on up.